Growing up in rural South Africa, you may not have had access to the latest technology, but you had two heroes in your life, your grandfather and your brother, who pointed you on a path where education could be your salvation. You learned, and you learned that with confidence in the right tools, anyone can succeed, and that with tools as simple as knitting needles, they can succeed anywhere. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of Exchange Stories. This might sound a bit controversial, but I don't really think it matters whether our president is male or female. We just need somebody that's going to give a damn about everybody. Whether they're female, male, transgender, whatever, that doesn't matter. We just need somebody that will care and make sure that every South African gets an opportunity to have a better life. You know, the circumstances that we live in that a lot of our people still live in, I think is unacceptable. The poverty that a lot of our kids still go through every day. You know, you cannot have a child that goes to school and instead of worrying about whether I'm going to pass or not, their biggest uh, challenge is, am I going to go to bed? You know, am I going to have something to eat before I go to bed? Will I even be able to take a bath tomorrow? That for me is unacceptable. So having a female president doesn't necessarily mean that anything. It would be great to have to get our goals to start dreaming big and wanting to become a president. But I think at this stage, I just want a president that gives a damn. This week, learning coding through knitting. Watch out for the teen geeks, Africa as the next frontier, and looking for someone who gives a damn. Join us on a journey from Mpumalanga, South Africa, to the United States in a quest to bring better opportunities to children back home. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. Exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them, they are people very much like ourselves. And oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. My name is Lindy Wematladi, and I'm the founder and CEO of Africa Teen Geeks, a nonprofit organization that teaches um, kids how to code. I am from South Africa, in a beautiful town originally called Belfast in Bumalanga. And I was one of the lucky women who were part of the Tech Women program in 2017. <music> I was uh, born and raised in a small town in Belfast called Bumalanga. I'm the youngest of seven kids. We were raised by my grandfather. My mom died when I was four. 
and my father was just never around. Unfortunately for my grandfather, he also lost another daughter. So my mom and her sister died two weeks apart and both their dads, you know, our fathers were never there. So my grandfather ended up raising 12 kids all under the age of 16 in a four-roomed house or I call it a four-bedroom because at night every room was a bedroom. But you know, one of the most important thing that my grandfather really taught us and instilled in us that was non-negotiable was education. As much as we didn't have a lot, he really sacrificed a lot to make sure that we needed, we had everything that we needed for school, like um, the school uniform and things like that. And we couldn't even get sick. I mean, if you were sick, my grandfather was a pastor, so he would pray for you and he'll ask do you believe that you healed? And if you say, you have you have to say yes, because you can't say, you know, I don't believe. And then you, you'll have to go to school. You couldn't be sick. And uh, that was not an excuse because he didn't want us to use sickness or use anything as an excuse for not getting our education. And because of that, I mean, I think that's, that's really what drove me and got me to become what I am and giving me the opportunity that I have. Because one thing that he always told us was if we worked hard and we stayed at school, we will never even remember that we were orphaned. And so I really believe in education because I believe education is the greatest equalizer and is the only thing that can break the cycle of poverty. We used to read a lot. My grandfather was a gardener, so he used to work for a doctor. And the doctor obviously used to subscribe to a lot of magazines, like something like Time magazine, uh, medical journals, and a lot that all those um, publications that my grandfather, when that guy threw them away, my grandfather used to take them and bring them at home. So we used to read a lot. I read a lot. I mean, we had no television, for one. That's one way of <laughs> of spending your time. So because we didn't have a television and also electricity at that time, um, so we used to use uh, candles. You used to get bored as a child. What are you going to sit and do? And that was a lot of the time that we used to to read. And that opened my mind the way I was thinking. My eldest brother was brilliant. He really was brilliant. And he went to UCT before I did. He used to be a caddie. For, um, there, there was a, a golf uh, club where we grew up. And one of the people that he used to caddy for was uh, the CEO of PG Class. He started like talking to this guy about that he wanted to go to university. And this guy really took him under his wing and uh, assisted him. He started buying him school uniform. So my brother then got a bursary and went to study engineering at UCT. Testament to how our grandfather raised us. My brother, every school ho university holiday, used to come home and teach me. I was doing grade seven then. 
he started telling me that he believed that I needed to get the foundation for math was in grade seven and make sure that I started un understanding the theory, like um, geometry, because that's when these concepts are introduced. So he spent every holiday coming home, you know, from the day that he went to varsity, that was the year that I lost all my holidays because he used to come and really focus on teaching me and making sure that I got math. And when he passed, I didn't apply anywhere else. I went to UCT, which I know it is the best university in, in South Africa and Africa. And, and that really raised my, my aspiration. And I think that is, that was really is so important. The exposure. I wanted to become a doctor. And, but that was also because, as I said, my grandfather used to work for this doctor and I used to read the journals. And that, because of that exposure, that's what I wanted to become. I ended up not doing that because, you know, when I realized that it was going to take seven years, we were too poor. I just had no time to wait for seven years before I could work. I applied for the, the Tech Women program in 2017. I was lucky to, to be selected. The Tech Women program was really about expanding my network, but also to learn as much as possible about uh, tech and coming to, to Silicon Valley, but looking at how I can provide those opportunities to the children that we serve and looking at how we can um, expose them to opportunities in tech. Because for a lot of disadvantaged kids, you know, their role models are Jay-Z and Beyonce because that's the people that they see. And there's really nothing wrong with that. But that's why there's only Jay-Z. We, we, we celebrate him because it's, you know, one in a million who managed to succeed. So I wanted to really start showing them another side of success to say, you can still live a good life. You may not own a Bentley, but you can own a Volvo. I met amazing people. I mean, Aileen Brewer, for example, she really became one of the most important uh, women in my life. And um, last year, we hosted our first uh, global hackathon in partnership with the United Nations on, um, Office on Drugs and Crime. And this year, we'll be hosting uh, our second one at Google. And because of that, I'm able to expose the kids and, and really get them to start dreaming bigger. I mean, the kids that came last year, almost all of them, because they, you know, got to visit Stanford, they all want to study at Stanford now. So they're really dreaming big and they want to become more. And you cannot, um, I really believe that exposure is important. You can't aspire for what you haven't seen. A lot of the time when I was there, I did feel proud. First of all, that I got in. South Africa, during the, the Tech Women program, you had to come up with a project and, and you pitch it and you can win a seed grant. And the best pitch from all the hundred countries get to win a seed grant to implement their program at home. And South Africa won. So that was really also nice and it was really i was really proud it was about teaching to make math uh, fun i don't know if you're aware but in south africa we always go the lowest when compared to 
everybody else in the world. And when you look at the stats as well, is that black South Africans, specifically from townships, the stats are really, really bad. And for us, it was how do we then help in terms of improving the math scores for um, specifically black uh, South Africans or kids that come from poor communities by you know coming up with a program that mentors them when i was in high school before um you know at grade 10 we chose that's when we choose our subjects and the majority of the of the grade 10s wanted to go into the math and science class and we had a teacher that come to us and like you know trying to reduce the class and said something like you know math is hard and he used the analogy of the like the bible the children of israel and in egypt so he said you know math is like you are in egypt and if you choose the other subjects it's like that's the land of milk and honey <laughs> by the time he was done like 90% of the students went to the land of milk and honey and and that's the perception and unless we make it fun and also get these kids as early as possible and help them to understand these concepts like my brother did when i was in grade 7 for many parents they don't even know that grade 7 if the kids have to study math actually is the most important because that's when the foundation is being laid. During Tech Women, we visited a lot of different companies. One of the companies that really stood out was when we visited Autodesk. Firstly, because when you walk in there, it's beautiful. But then when we're there, we then also met Bill O'Connor. He is just one of the most inspirational guys that I've, I think I've ever had the opportunity to meet and to learn from. We had to go into groups where they will take us through innovation. And I happened to be in Bill's group. And he took us, he didn't have a lot of time, but that hour that we had with him where he was just inspiring us to come up with ideas and the ideas that I came up with because I don't you know I didn't consider myself to be innovative but after I was like oh wow you know and I started talking to him and I said to him I want to bring you to South Africa you know I want to see how we can work I want to take what you're doing and teach our children because I really believe in we need to teach our kids how to innovate and and I think that's probably one of the you know ways in which we can change Africa's future. Everybody talks about Africa being the next frontier. You know, there's this huge rush of going to Africa, but I feel like if we don't educate and teach our children, it's going to be like our mining industry when the bigger the more the people who make money out of our industries are outsiders, <laughs> you know. For Africa, that's uh, technology. is that continent that has so much opportunity. Then I said to Bill, I want you to work with us. And now he's working with us and developing um, an innovation curriculum that we're going to be teaching our children from the third grade. Because they soon, as soon as they can learn how to read and understand, then we're going to teach them and really start getting them to make things and be innovative.
So I started Africa Teen Geeks in, in 2014 and I was attending actually a program at MIT and there was an eight-year-old girl that, were, that, that presented an app that she had created. And that for me was really what inspired me because I started Googling and she was talking, I'm like, what is happening at home? And I saw that 5% of our schools were teaching um, IT and those were mainly in Model C schools or rather affluent schools. So the majority of South African kids, you know, didn't even learn how to use a computer, let alone how to code. And that's how Africa Teen Geeks was born. And and I went back home and we started as a Mandela Day uh, program in bringing kids from disadvantaged communities. And a lot of them, they were so excited being there and they kept on asking me, when is the next one? When is the next one? And we started having classes every Saturday. I soon also realized that having an opportunity uh, doesn't necessarily mean that a lot of these kids were able to access it. A lot of the kids that we were serving were in townships. They couldn't afford the transport to be able to come every Saturday. And that was when I started thinking we needed to look at a way of, one, providing that opportunity, but looking at how then do you close that opportunity gap? You know, there's a lot of um, obstacles for them to be able to, to access the opportunities that we were creating for them. had our official launch of Africa Teen Geeks in 2015. I tried to get everybody that I knew to get the Minister of Basic Education to come. She came and, you know, I started sharing with her what I wanted to do and I kept on nagging them and say, this is what we needed to introduce um, coding as a subject and make it compulsory in all our schools because, you know, um, a lot of these kids that we want, we are not able to come. They cannot afford. And it took just under five years. But last year we signed them a memorandum of understanding with the Department of Basic Education to help them to then create um, coding and robotics curriculum that will be introduced. We're studying as a pilot from next year and it will be a compulsory subject for kids from grade R to 9. That for me is really, I feel, one of our biggest achievement. There will be 9 million kids that will be able to learn how to code from next year in our school. We don't have obviously the infrastructure and we still have bread and you know bread and butter issues that you know we can't necessarily invest money in in putting computers or, or computer lab in every school while we still have some kids that are studying under the tree because they don't have the proper infrastructure or our children are dying trying to use the basic you know uh, human function going to the toilet and ending up drowning so those are, are issues that we have to solve but that doesn't necessarily mean that we cannot prepare them for the future by changing the way we, we teach. So one, by, for example, teaching uh, coding through knitting and where we don't necessarily have to invest. But also the, our approach to teaching robotics, um, inspired by this young boy from Malawi, William. He built a windmill. Um, just by going, you know, going to the library every day, he had no computer, he had no Google. And he built and he was able to electrify his village. What we need is more Williams who can come and build things and solve their, their situation in their in their villages. Currently, we have kids that drown trying to go to school because they, they have to 
cross a river and that indignity a lot of those young girls have to go through as they're walking they have to you know put their dress up so that they, they don't get wet trying to get to class these are the kids if we teach them instead of waiting for the government or the municipality to come and build a bridge for them we teach them the skills they can be able to build a bridge for themselves and 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 you think about the impact in their lives that would save that has really been something that uh, has been driving me but also thinking around that we need to think differently about how we teach this thing. instead of trying to compete with the way America would approach it because America is a first world country with everybody here has a computer probably at their home even people from you know from poor communities they because a computer is more like you know like a cell phone in Africa our approach is to change to say how do we teach these things and teach innovation um without necessarily trying to do it the way people who have are doing it A big part of what Africa Teen Geeks was about, it, well, still is about, is about closing the opportunity gap. And from the start, I wanted to make sure to look at how can we teach coding and teach technology to children who do not have the infrastructure. Because I just felt like it's really something that I still believe it's unfair for, I think, around how many young people that could be brilliant but are not able to have the opportunity or even be able to to assess whether they could be good at this or not just because they would not be able to try it because they just leave they don't have the right address or they were not born from the right family if I to to put it like that and I I have been thinking around how can we teach technology and computer science uh, without a computer how can we remove the computer from the from the equation and uh, started working doing a lot of research and uh, and you know there was when I realized that the similarities between knitting and coding how it you know it has it uses the same loops that, that basically the concepts are the same and there was then that's when we started looking at how then can we teach a specific language through knitting because you can teach the concept of coding but you know I wanted to link it to a specific language and that's when we realized the similarities or or the simple simpleness of linking python to this because python uses normal you know syntax and everyday language and we started teaching the kids as they knitting a scarf for example we teach them to write a python code of what they're knitting and by the time you put them in front of a computer they already understand they know what they're doing and they'll show okay this is how you do it in in python Most importantly, is also taking away the perception that STEM is not necessarily for girls or girls interested in STEM somehow have a male brain or, you know, they are tomboys. And it was really showing that something that is perceived as women's work can actually be used to teach something as technical as programming. 
but also the first computer programmer was a woman. Uh, MIT actually released a, a paper that was talking about Ada Lovelace, but also it also talked about that programming actually was a career that was for women. The majority of women were programmers than it was men. We don't know what changed. But but the point is to really make girls feel comfortable, but also educate, ed- educating the women. Our parents have a lot of influence on, of, on, on their careers that we choose. And the recent research by Microsoft actually found that about 65% of students say that their parents influenced them or had a, a big, a big, played a big role on the careers that they chose. So by educating the parents, educating the grandmothers, and teaching them and, and also exposing them to what uh, technology is and teaching them, you know, so that they can be able to teach their girls, actually that's one of the fastest ways I believe we can close the gender gap in STEM. years, we have to train 72,000 teachers who will be able to teach coding and, and, and robotics. But the most important thing that we need to do is to, to basically inspire a culture of self-directed learning. What we do with Africa Teen Geeks, even when we teach the kids, a lot of our, our volunteers are not you know, programmers. So these are people who cannot program, but we teach them to inspire the kids so that they can learn and, and train themselves. You may not always have a great teacher, but if you are driven and you know how to learn and teach yourself. I never had a lot of great teachers. I had a teacher telling me um, when I was uh, at, uh, in high school and I, I wanted to apply to UCT and I went to ask him to give me a recommendation letter and he told me, you're never going to get into UCT. According to him, someone like me didn't even you know, deserve to dream that big. So if these kids are not taught or already inspired to, I'm not going to listen to any other voices because nobody knows what you're capable of than yourself, not even your parent. I mean, I, I look at you, kids, they, they might be brilliant, but Albert Einstein, nobody thought he was going to become what he became. He had the horrible teacher who told him he was never going to amount to anything. I'm not saying we should encourage teachers that are, are like that. Our focus should be how do we inspire our kids to have that self-confidence, to believe in themselves and work hard irrespective of what the voices around them are telling them. Because that is, that is more important. If you don't believe in yourself, it doesn't matter what opportunities you have. You'll always be too scared to try. look into the future i really would like to see african geeks reaching you know the entire continent i i feel like we've been able to do quite a lot in a very short uh, space of time but i think for me being having been able not just to influence policy but to be part of it and in terms of making it happen that has been one of my I think my my greatest achievement you know recently i was appointed by 
President Ramaphosa to be on his commission for the fourth industrial revolution. I think it's it's really a great privilege to be able to serve your country, but also to be given that responsibility to say you can be part of the team and the people that can really uh, put together a strategy of how South Africa can prepare our children to take part in this fourth industrial revolution. I want to be able to also do that for the entire continent because I I really love African. I you know I love Africa. I'm an African through and through. I I don't think I will ever leave. You know, no matter what, I'll come here and visit the U.S. But I will. I, I don't aspire to go anywhere because I feel like that's a place where I can make a lot of impact and contribution. And if I don't succeed in doing all the things, I'm I'm hoping that I can inspire the brains or a lot of the other kids and or other young women, women specifically in other African continent, to hope and start aspiring and changing the police and changing the way we are being being talked about and changing the way people look at us as Africans and know that we we're not just sitting and waiting for somebody to come and change things for us but we're going to change it ourselves and we're going to work out and, and really create an army of young people that will say the story of my children in 20 years time is not going to be my story their story, they will write a, a story that will be completely different and inspirational than the one that we had. I am uh, an optimist by nature. I'm really one of those people who see a glass as half full. And I really believe, not just for South Africa, but Africa, that uh, we are the youngest continent one. And without sounding, sounding controversial, I would say, for me, South Africa is the only country where being a black woman actually is, yeah, is the best place for a black woman. You know, there's a lot of opportunities for us because there's a lot of policies that are there to develop black women, which is not the same elsewhere in the world. So that gives me a lot of optimism, but also for a lot of uh, a lot of these young black girls in poor communities that some of them believe that they don't even have permission to dream big because why would you dream big if you see everybody around you you know, not being able to succeed. That's why they end up going, you know, looking for sugar daddies that can help them out of poverty. So we have a lot of opportunities when, but to, to expose these girls and tell them that you have the permission and you can become more than what you see. You are not your circumstances by providing them the exposure and the opportunity and the mentorship and the support that they need for them to be able to aspire, to raise their aspiration, but also to show them that you're not setting up, setting yourself up for failure, for dreaming bigger.
2233 is produced by The Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name's Christopher Wurst. I'm the director of The Collaboratory. 2233 is named for Title 22, Chapter 33 of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. This week, Lindawe Matlali spoke about her experiences as a participant in the Tech Women program. For more about Tech Women and other ECA exchange programs, check out eca.state.gov. We encourage you to subscribe to 2233. You can do so wherever you find your podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Photos of each week's interviewee and complete episode transcripts can be found at our webpage at eca.state.gov slash 2233. Huge special thanks to Lindaway for her courage and commitment to helping the girls and women throughout South Africa. I did the interview and edited this segment. Featured music was Driftwood by Poddington Bear, Sang Goodbye in the Rain by Gelsonic, Discovery Harbor and Flower by Blue Dot Sessions, and The Talons of Adventure and Antlers of Romance by Dr. Turtle. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came, and the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagir Lius. Until next time.